Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS growth practice solutions for business development. Go to leftfoot.com GPS for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is a widely recognized authority in the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Her practice focuses on U.S. and international anti-corruption laws. She is a member of her firm's management committee and the head of Compliance Investigations Trade and Enforcement Departments. Her clients include companies, boards of directors, individuals, and other professional firms. Steptoe and Johnson partner Lucinda Lowe, welcome to Left Foot. Thank you very much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Lucinda. Lucinda, which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in developing business? Nicole, that's a great question. When you're developing business or trying to develop business, the reality for virtually everybody I know, including myself, is that you don't always succeed and you have to learn sometimes by trial and error. So I think the most important quality really for success is first being willing to put yourself out there. Uh, willingness to engage with people and open yourself up to possible rejection. And then it's learning from those experiences and not giving up too easily. Eventually, you develop your own personal style and your sense of what works. But for most of us, it takes some trial and error. And being somebody who is willing to persist, I would say, is pretty key. So I have to agree that, you know, really getting out there and trying different things and and getting more comfortable with the process can really help, especially a new partner or someone just starting on the business development side of the house. So Lucinda, you have responsibilities for an area within your firm. You have others that are in your practice that are looking to you for guidance. Do you have a growth strategy that you execute on a, say, a yearly basis that really helps you plan out your year as far as which clients you're going to work with, which clients you might think will have matters in the coming year, and then potentially you know, new clients that you'll be looking to have conversations with? Is there a strategy you employ? Absolutely. And we do it in our firm on a more institutionalized basis. We're all required to develop annual plans. And the planning process, in my view, it it isn't the plan per se that is necessarily the ultimate word in what you do, because often plans become obsolete once you get it written down on paper. But for me, it's really the process of thinking through now where I think the opportunities are, either with existing clients or new clients and how to go about that. And that may be for work that I would personally do, or it may be for work in areas that aren't directly in my main practice areas, but I think with those clients I can generate from other people. And and this will depend in part on people's practices areas. And in my practice, we have a combination of clients who are long-term recurring clients and clients that have more one-off problems. And once you fix that problem, you know, they may not be back to you ever. So you have to plan your strategy based on the different, the mix of clients and the types of 
of matters that you handle, but you know, really systematically trying to sit down and think about that, I think is a good discipline for, it's certainly been a good discipline for me. And I think it's a good discipline for everyone. It's interesting. And we don't hear that as often as I would think. There's definitely some focus and definitely increasing focus, let's say that, in especially big law around really the tactical things that need to happen. So making sure that people are spending time, they are talking about client engagement, they are thinking you know, about the businesses of their clients. You know, I can imagine that a lot of your business comes from referrals. You know, is really working on client satisfaction and making sure that you are getting referrals from other clients, from other lawyers, of course, from other practices. Is that a key part of that strategy? Absolutely. In my practice area, there are multiple sources of referrals. They can come internally from a client to another part of the business, especially if it's a multinational business. We obviously will try to get to know as many people as we can in a client organization who may be relevant to that and incumbent on us to understand the client's business and, and figure out where the opportunities to help them may be. And a lot of this is just asking questions and listening and being alert to opportunities. So there's the internal client growth by internal referral. There's the client that is happy with your services. You can't underestimate, I think, how much not only general counsels, but people in business, people at the board level talk to each other about the experiences they've had on legal matters of the type I handle. So I have gotten referrals from clients, existing clients to new clients. And of course, there's the professional network as well. And uh, referrals can come about because of a conflict situation, because of a situation if you're handling a matter that touches more than one jurisdiction. We may need to partner with a law firm in another country to affect effectively represent a client or the international network or Although most of my work involves representing companies, there is some individual work and a lot of individual referrals come from networks in the U.S. So networks are very important developing business and there are various types and levels of networks, I would say, that come into play, at least in my practice, Nicole. Great response. Thank you. That And I, I do believe that the network, of course, is you know, it's so key. You're known in your practice area. You're known due to your expertise. You have expertise in this area. You're known for having successfully worked with your clients and representing them successfully in the market. Of course, you're known within your firm. You're known, you know, in the industries in which your clients sit. You know, of course, those are ever expanding networks. That said, you know, today having a network means a lot of things, right? There's a personal network in the sense of, right, the people you've met. There's also what I like to call the network of the unaffiliated people you don't know (laughs) who are aware of your business and your success. You know, how is your strategy for communicating with your network and expanding your network changed due to the changes that have occurred you know, in your industry? I would say it has changed. And in my lifetime, it's changed pretty dramatically in my professional career. And I think I think it's going to have even more impact for the people who are at an earlier stage of their professional development. I will say I'm on networks like LinkedIn. I probably don't do as much on those, frankly, as I should, just because I think many of us struggle to cope with the volume of electronic information. Yet it's, it's an amazing network. 
be for the kinds of sort of broader professional networking that you've just described. If I can take go back maybe just a step because they're really linked strategy and tactics and networking all the topics we've just been talking about. I mean, if you take the FCP as an example, that was actually an area 20 years ago that I looked at and said, this is going to grow. This area was to expand and become a real standalone practice area. I actually didn't foresee how much it would expand, but I did realize before it happened that it was going to expand. And so I very deliberately sought to position myself in that area as a thought leader. And so some of the tactics that I've used really have involved, for example, identifying key events in the field. And again, this is going to vary from practice area to practice. So you have to think of what's going to work in your area. But in my area, there has been a lot of opportunity to network effectively around very specialized conferences that bring together key enforcement officials, and regulators and the larger stakeholder community just because of the nature of the area. So having the right involvement in those kinds of events has been important. Some very strategic writing on topics that I think may be important topics for either compliance or enforcement activity. So really trying to look at, you know, how you position yourself out there. We are all faced with too many choices in some ways. You really have to think carefully about how you're going to allocate your time. At Leffa, we talk a lot about niching and having one of our recent guests called it a power niche. The idea of being recognized in a particular space, quite forward thinking to say, okay, here is an act and I know it's going to grow and I'm going to be that person, right? And I'm going to learn this act and know a lot about this act and be the person who knows at some point the most about or, you know, high up on the list of people who know the most about this act. But terrific strategy and definitely one that, you know, we would absolutely suggest to partners who are starting out, trying to make a mark, wanting to make a mark in a particular space, you know, finding something that they feel will expand into the future. And then, of course, being interested enough to learn everything they can about that and then present themselves to the market as you know, an authority, which all leads to your next point, which was picking key events where you can network effectively. Lucinda, I think conferences are terrific when used effectively. When you can be on the podium, where you can spend the time, when you go to the same conference year after year for a period of time, and you're meeting the same people and you're being recognized. So hearing that as part of your strategy, I think is terrific. And frankly, is likely much more effective. I know for me, it's much more effective than anything I do on social media or in, or using technology because those interactions are face-to-face. Of course, the next step in that is following up. From a tactical perspective, how do you stay in touch with those people that you meet, those potential clients, those current clients that you haven't worked with for five years because they haven't had a matter that required your assistance? But how do you stay in touch with those folks? Great question. And I think in this market, there is a real risk of sort of out of sight, out of mind. So you have to strike a balance. Obviously, you don't want 
town people are overwhelmed. I think multiple things can make sense and they have to be tailored to the client and your relationships. You know, one of the things we do, and a lot of firms do this, we're not unique, periodic advisories. And our goal, which I hope we are able to achieve with some regularity, is not just to repeat what people could read in the press, but really add some value, add some insight to the things that will make people want to read them because we know that corporate counsel are overwhelmed with information. So we've got to stand out. So that's what we try to do. So that's one tactic that we use. I think also just there's no substitute for sitting down with clients, going to visit them, learn of the business, ask questions about what they see coming down the pike. Invaluable. You can't do that with every client all the time, but with some of your more significant clients, you should be doing that, in my view, regularly. The more we can learn about what's on their minds, the more helpful we can be. Sometimes we work with clients on professional projects. I have a couple clients that I've written articles with over the years. Articles are a big investment but or given speeches with, but so you have to be very selective about those things. And sometimes just as you, you know, you open your inbox in the morning and you see something happening in China or Brazil or India or wherever it may be around the world and you think of a particular person or a client, you just send that on to them, letting them know that you're thinking about them and their problem. If we hire somebody who might be uh, useful to them, sending that information out. So you just have to be having client interests top of mind and identifying ways that you may be useful to them or things that may be of interest to them. And now a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning in to the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. Lucinda, you and I are on the phone today because I read a quote that was in The American Lawyer. And it was, first off, the article was, Big Law Rainmakers Spill Their Secrets. And you were one of those rainmakers. (laughs) Featured, which is terrific to see. You talked about the fact that law, similar to your last response, is a relationship business that you have to be good, but you also have to generate trust and confidence in clients that you can solve their problems. So it really is about the client and their problems, their business problems. And then you made the point about don't always look to maximize revenues, but look for opportunities to build on the relationship. So all in line with the comment you just made, and I definitely want to talk about, and also the fact that, yes, sometimes you need to go and learn about their business and connect with them on the firm's nickel, on your own nickel. Being a rainmaker and generating trust. This is hard. It is a lot of hard work. So if you could, you know, talk about the building of trust and then talk about really how you've had success and maybe even share a success story on building trust with a prospective client or a current client and having that result in business that, you know, you've been able to work on. 
Sure. And I think we talked earlier about the expertise strategy, Nicole, and that's important. And and I think it's particularly important for younger lawyers because it gives you a degree of confidence and ability to go out and speak and feel you have something to say. But at the end of the day, you are trying to turn this into an ability to help a client and solve their problems. And you can never lose that focus, really. A client may not want to hear about everything you know about a certain area, but they do want to know how that what you know can help them help them solve their problems. So that's kind of the orientation to bring. And in terms of how you develop those relationships, well, again, it, uh, what I tell young lawyers in my firm is uh, you have to go out and plant a number of seeds. And often the ones you think are most likely to sprout come back from a meeting and you think it's worked really well and something's going to happen and then it doesn't. There is sometimes a feeling that it's a little bit random in practice, but an example I would use, it's a good example of what I was just talking about. So in an industry where I've done quite a bit of work over the years, I became aware of a company that in the same industry that I thought had similar issues to issues that I'd been handling another client and there wasn't a conflict between them, but I knew a little bit about what they were doing and thought they probably have similar issues. So I reached out to them (laughs) and I had somebody I'd known, I think through a conference or who'd reached out to me and we had an initial discussion and I was actually very enthusiastic about the prospects for that leading to work. Well, nothing happened. And that was a little bit puzzling and maybe a year went by and then I realized that that person had left. But I had occasion and again, it may have been another conference to meet the person's successor. And I said, well, you know, maybe the next time I'm in your town, we can come have a chat. And, mm-hmm. and, and I happened to be in that town within a few months. They said yes. And, I, and even though I was there not for work, I was there for personal reasons. I took time out and went to see them at their headquarters and sat down with the general counsel and the chief compliance officer and a couple other people. And we just had a conversation and got to know each other a little bit and kind of advanced the relationship. Again, nothing immediate came of that. But a year later, their board needed some advice as well as management. And I got a phone call. You know, sometimes you have to plant multiple seeds and wait for the right kind of opportunity to strike it. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning. Don't give up easily. Persist. Develop the relationship. And if you do it right, the right opportunity may eventually come around. Terrific. Great response. And thank you for sharing that experience. And it's interesting, based on the timelines you were stating there, it was about two and a half years or so since you had the idea of, oh, this other company in the same industry might might have a need here. Let's go out and talk to them. We do hear guests talk about having patience and trying different things. And of course, then continuing to do them, you know, unless of course they feel they get no results after a period of time. Doing a lot of outreach, you know, planting a lot of seed. It's so critical in this space. And Leftwood's been doing interviews for two years now. And we are hearing more and more that the legal industry is changing. The competitive landscape is changing. And it definitely was changing prior to the last two years. And definitely a lot of focus on different ways of structuring agreements with clients, different ways of pricing and putting guarantees in place and talking about service levels and a different way of approaching the market. Plus, of course, you know, e-discovery and artificial intelligence and everything else that can be thrown in that is, you know, intended to create efficiencies that again will affect pricing and cost and things of that nature. So from your seat, having 
been working in this space prior to 2008 and now, of course, post-2008. How has business development changed specific to these changing market conditions? How has your rainmaking style adapted to the change? The first thing that comes to mind in thinking about your question is, I think you need to be sitting down with clients more, more than ever. There's more competition. There's probably less institutional loyalty. I mean, there are panels and things like that. But I think you have to assume that your competition, and everybody has competition, is going to be in front of your clients a lot, making ask for work often very directly. And so you can't ignore that. You have to be there. And so I think it makes it even even more important that you are top of mind for the clients you want to focus on the most. And then I think you have to be very conscious as well in the services you're providing. We're giving a lot more attention to pricing and alternative fee structures. I would say we've always, at least I've always been focused on value, but I sense that general counsel and international counsel are dealing with so much complexity in the world that there's value has become increasingly defined, not just by pricing, but also the ability to, one general counsel I know calls seeing around corners, anticipate what's coming and help proactively prepare for that. And at least in my area, sound prevention can be hugely valuable to a company because the cost of not properly preventing is enormous, direct and indirect. So really trying to figure out how we can help them anticipate where enforcement may be going or what the trends are and what risks they should be prioritizing dealing with, I think is delivering value, real value for what they're paying. Those are some really important things I feel to be thinking about if you're trying to effectively serve your clients. Thank you. And I appreciate that word value. That is such a key word today because, of course, an experienced person like yourself who can, because of your knowledge, because of your actual experience working with clients, because of your knowledge of the industry, your network, you're hearing things, you're seeing how the industry is being, or different industries are being affected by changes. So you are one of the people that can likely see around the corner. So, of course, your services are of very high value versus someone who is newer to the space. This isn't their area of specialty. It's not something they spend most of their working time involved in. And of course, it may take them longer to identify those issues. It may take them more time to come up with a effective and effective suggestion to a client. So of course, you know, your time in this particular area will have a higher value per hour or per project. Exactly, you know, what we're trying to say to clients when we talk to GCs, you know, do you value that? And they of course say, of course, we do. We know that that person that is seeing around corners for us and is working with our general counsel, with our compliance leadership, that they are of value and really warrant you know, the the numbers that are presented. Thank you for sharing. That is definitely in line with the message that we are looking and are communicating to our listeners. Lucinda, of course, you're dealing with complex issues in your practice. You're dealing with international clients. There's a lot of factors, a lot going on there. As you look at the industry, what are you seeing that you would consider innovative in the industry today, in the space in which you're sitting What do you consider innovative? Well, that's a hard one because, frankly, we're probably not as innovative as we need to be. As a profession, the 
technology certainly is, at least in my field, in terms of how you practice, how you address client problems, has been a great source of innovation and economic benefit to clients at the same time. You mentioned e-discovery earlier, and now there are e-tools if you're trying to look through a mass of documents. And that's obviously very, very helpful, not just in economic terms, But because it can move the pace of a matter along, the quicker you can get to the heart of the matter, an area like what I do, you really need to have your arms around the facts and often in a pretty nuanced way because you're dealing with a lot of business conduct. The question is, have you crossed a line? Is this normal business conduct or is it inappropriate business conduct? And so it's often a situation where you really have to get into the factual weeds before you really understand what happened and who was involved. Was it proper or improper? And so the quicker you can get to the heart of it, the more quickly you're going to be able to solve the client's problem and give them advice on how to manage the situation that they're dealing with. And sometimes it's actually a crisis situation where the very survival of a company is risk. So that's a really helpful thing. So certainly technology in that area has made a difference. Also, if you're dealing with things that cross borders, I mean, just the ability to get information about what the rules are in India with respect to data protection, that was really hard to get. And you might spend weeks just trying to figure out that piece, which may have be critical to how you design your investigation, let's say. So being able to get information much more quickly. Now, there's, we're still in a world, you know, there's almost still too much information and you never get precisely what you need in that first cut. But you can often kind of advance up the scale and compress the process by information that's readily available that allows you then to focus more quickly on kind of the remaining issues. So technology, I think, has been the biggest source of innovation overall in the legal profession, both over the course of my career and the last 10 years in particular. Nicole. Thank you. I have the opportunity to attend conferences like Legal Tech and to hear from both the technology vendors and of course the firms and the in-house legal departments that are using that technology. And it's been an interesting and I think very productive conversation to have both a client who's using a piece of technology in their legal department and their law firm using the same piece of technology and talking about how the three groups, the technology company, the client, and being the law firm client, and then the law firm, all talking about how by all using the same platform and communicating with each other about ways that it can be set up has really made an impact on their efficiency as a group. And so that both the client and the in-house legal department felt more comfortable that you know they were all on board, that this was a way that they were going to increase efficiency together. And of course, those in-house general counsel who and their teams who have these budgets that they're managing, you know, have really said this is a huge game changer. So it's great to hear that, you know, you are seeing the value of it, you know, as a firm leader, because it really firm leaders, they're like, do we need to make the investment? And I think the jury is no longer out on that. So the investment is, is important. Lucinda, many of our listeners are tuning in because they're starting the business development portion of their responsibilities. What advice would you have for those new partners, those mid-career partners who are needing to change the way they approach the market? What advice would you give? 
Well, I would say, first of all, Nicole, it's never too early to start getting out there, listening to people, learning, becoming aware of what's happening in the marketplace. We're a service business. We're problem solving and getting out there and learning and making contact. Those are just lifetime habits that I think are good to develop. It's not easy for everyone. These are things that, I mean, some people will be more natural than others, but with practice, most of us can develop the skills. Think about what you can do. And you know, some of our younger partners will say, well, I, you know, my contacts, I don't have a great set of contacts or they're really not in a position to make business decisions. And at a younger stage, that is the only thing you should be thinking about. Still should be thinking about just things that get you out there and help you develop your skills. Look for a trade group that maybe needs somebody to focus on a particular issue you want to learn more about. That's an opportunity to learn and develop your contacts in the process. Even professional associations. Now, sometimes law firms today will look at bar associations and things as less worthy of business development because they may not have as many clients at the table. But I think you can learn many useful skills by being active in those organizations, including public speaking and meetings management. And so, you know, there are multiple ways to be out there. And so that's one piece of advice I get. Just try to figure out what you can do. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be hundreds of hours of your time. Just find one thing that makes you feel that you're progressing in that area. I also think as a younger lawyer, sometimes I talk about something I call the wedge strategy. You may be able to go out and based on some expertise you have in a relationship, get an initial piece of work. Go out and get that and use that as sort of a wedge, an opening to develop the relationship further and take a long view and build and don't get frustrated if things don't happen quite as you planned from the beginning, because I can assure you they won't. It keeps changing and you have to be seeing what's happening and, and really adapting to you know the changed environment and opportunity. Agree. That long view is so important. And for those of us who have been in our careers for a while, we look back and, you know, I think back to my first business development successes and things lined up, not due to my effectiveness and the effort, you know, paid off. And I think that is great advice to look at the long view. And, you know, it's interesting, Lucinda, when I get the question from associates and new partners and they talk about their network and they talk about the fact that their network is not able to influence who their organizations use. You know, these are lawyers that went in-house instead of going to a firm. You know, we often say, but hold on, those people that are early in their career in-house will likely have success at some point. And you can't really wait 10 years before you call them and reconnect and and talk with them. So continuing to talk with the folks you went to law school with and continuing to, you know, stay connected to those that are friends that you can, you know, down the road, you're basically developing your career alongside them. So if they chose to go in-house or they're at another firm, you know, staying in contact now makes sense because down the road, if you just all of a sudden see that they've gotten that great position, you know, reaching out is less comfortable. So stay in contact with those folks. Absolutely love the advice of getting involved in a trade group and really an industry focus where there might not be lawyers at every table when you go to an event, right? You'll be the lawyer at the table and your firm will be represented. Terrific advice. So thank you for that. Lucinda, you have strong energy. I can feel it about your work that you enjoy (laughs) what you do. 
What specifically do you enjoy about the work that you do? I feel very lucky, not that everything I do is wonderful and fascinating, but Nicole, I went into law, first of all, knowing that whatever I did would be in the international area. That's really why I went into law, was to be able to be doing things that were international or transnational. I like the anti-corruption area in particular because it actually is a very humbling area for a lawyer. Law plays an important role, but it's also, you have to think about politics, that you're dealing with official issues of government conduct Mm -hmm. in a foreign country. And so you have to think about politics, you have to think about economics, you have to think about culture and society and how all of those play into a matter. And so I find that mix fascinating. I also find companies pretty interesting. Every company has its own way of operating and culture and how they're governed, I think is very interesting. And so I feel the constant challenge of trying to solve problems and make it work for the particular client. And so those are the things I find I enjoy because I'm interested in the world and all the different places in the world. You know, it's a practice area that gives you a real insight into different parts of the world. And so I find that very, very interesting. Lucinda, it's been a fantastic interview. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with our listeners. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Nicole, thank you. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I hope this advice is useful to your audience. I'm sure it will be. Thank you, Lucinda. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.